Kolsak, and today is a special episode um, because I'm sitting in St. Petersburg next to Maria Kushinova. Uh, she is a film critic, and she's been um, published in many Russian publications. And uh, currently, she is—I'm um, not sure I can pronounce it well, so help me. Uh, she's been running and working for an online publication called. Yeah, hi. Uh, it's called kkbbd.com. Okay. <laughs> it exists for two months already. Yeah, okay. Hi, Masha. So we're going to talk about Russian cinema today. Hi. I'm going to speak very lame English, so you can edit me later. <laughs> <laughs> you sound good to me. Cool. So I don't know. I, I mean, do, you want, do you want to start? Because Maria is a first film critic on the podcast. Yes, so of course. Kind of, you call it. <laughs> of course, I want to know all about what it's like <laughs> to be a film critic in Russia and if it's any different from being a film critic in America, where uh, film criticism has has become, you know, kind of kind of a marginal experience. Most I, I think most people who go to movies don't don't know don't know film critics don't tend to read film criticism. And so it's become a kind of niche um, writing form, sadly for me, since I'm a film critic. <laughs> so it's almost impossible to make a living at it, for example, and you just know your readership tends to be limited. I mean, there's like, I don't know, five lucky people who have actual, actual, you know, paid careers as film critics. It's a very difficult profession to, to even call a profession anymore. Is it anything like that in Russia or is it more central to the audience experience? Uh I think in Russia, some critics uh, have really cult following. And mm -hmm. of course, in Russia, film critics are maybe bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we have very famous film critic who just won a GQ award as a journalist of the year. So he is extremely popular. His name mm -hmm. is Anton Dolan. And he really has like a uh, few thousand subscribers on Facebook. And also we have some other cult film, cult film critics. So uh, he's still uh, very limited in your payment. And mm -hmm. uh, very few outlets, uh, no independent press basically mm -hmm. but still some people really could be celebrities if they choose this profession right oh well that's that's cool i mean we have a few but they tend to be older i mean it's not like we don't have people who have you know youtube followings and facebook followings and that it's just um a frustrating thing i mean in america the the peak era for film criticism was the 1960s and 70s which is a long time ago now and we still have <laughs> we still have a number of film critics from that era who are now quite elderly hanging on in their same old jobs um making it even harder for anyone who's younger to get to get a paid job so it's a kind of challenging um area here for sure um you know do you do you find you know that there's a uh, room for a lot of lengthier pieces in publications do you get to get quite analytical or are you more encouraged to i don't know have very snappy kind of popular takes uh on films you know, Russia is a country that people like to write and to read. And uh, already, that's a huge form, difference. All, yeah, <laughs> all 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 forms of <laughs> reviewing movies, starting from small articles or even tweets, uh, ending with books and uh, magazines. We have two big uh, analytical cinema magazines mm -hmm. uh, in Moscow and St. Petersburg: uh, the Cinema of Art and uh, Science. Um, so I think, I, I don't know, I think they're mainly supported by some tacoons or by mm -hmm. some governmental funds. Uh, so it's, it's, it's exists, it still exists. Wow, I guess I have to learn Russian and move to Russia because that sounds great. <laughs> it's not that I've never asked to write them, but I, I don't know how much of a readership they have. <laughs> I had no job for four years. Wow. No paid job for four years. So, but I I just watched the movie on Palinkale, and I understood that even in sixties and seventies, the mm. most popular film critic uh, also had no paid job. 
wow. for, for some years or months. So it's it's quite normal. Wow. Were you okay. fired? Was it your choice not to have a job? Because how does it work in film, Chris? I have some other source of income, so I decided to be a freelance. I didn't want to stay in St. Petersburg. All the media jobs are in Moscow. I didn't want to go back in Moscow because I moved here like six years ago. And I wanted to stay here and I was waiting for some opportunity to open. I had the resources to do it. And, and now I meet with my friend uh, Tatiana Shorho. We launched this new website mm -hmm. and we have some funding so we can do it for one year at least. Oh, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because in, in America, it seems like the, uh, yeah, it's pretty bleak. There are only like a few paid film critics and mm -hmm. everyone else is like a very impoverished kind of blogger. <laughs> and freelancer. So it seems no, Freelancer, yeah. but very, yeah. Yeah, the pay <laughs> is truly atrocious. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same, but still, mm. I think it's much more respected figure. I mean, this is a silly, this is a silly kind of question, but I'm still curious. What's, what's the best part? What's your favorite part of being a film critic there? And, you know, what's the worst? I like to go to film festivals mm -hmm. because it's a lot of energy and I think it's, it's, it's the best part. Mm -hmm. and, and the worst part is that you have to wait for a few years to get paid. So. <laughs> wow, a few years. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's so, pretty bad. And, and, and also, <laughs> and also, normally I, I'm paying for my festivals myself, and uh, uh, I'm joking, but it's like in drug dealing, uh, they pay for the first one festival, and mm -hmm. then you pay for yourself. So wow. <laughs> you mean they make you pay like, uh, to go? Someone way. pay. Some way is paying for your first visit to a festival and mm -hmm. some outlet, and you're so involved after that that you. Like sell your kidney or sell your car to, to go to the festival. <laughs> <laughs> Which I I agree. I, I haven't gone to festivals recently, and there's no one who's going to be paying my way. But it was it was the best way to know what was going on in film by far when I used to when I used to go because I was in the film industry. So that's the biggest thing I miss. I just need to start paying my own way to go to film festivals. That's that's the answer because I feel kind of clueless about what's upcoming which if you go to festivals you have you get a great sense of what the major exciting films are in the world and sometimes in america without going to festivals i just despair because it seems like nothing exciting is happening other than what i can read about third hand that kind of thing well film sex should have some like should get some advertising i mean do you have a sense right now of what what's what's exciting that's coming, that's new in the film world? Is there a trend? Is there a tendency? Is there a film movement that's happening? I think this uh, MeToo movement uh, and all this uh, female movement uh, gave new energy to film industry uh, also in uh, both in, in terms of people who are coming into directing, into storytelling, and uh, in in the new stories, new types of stories, and even in retelling some old stories. For example, uh, I just watched uh, in Venice Film Festival the film Seberg on the actress Jean Seberg, played by Kristen Stewart, and it's well, a well-known story uh, which I, were, I I was reading I was reading about her for for years, mm -hmm. and it was a Total new approach uh, mm -hmm. to Jean Sibir's uh, figure, figure. Mm -hmm. and she, she's now she's portrayed as an idealist who did want to help uh, black people. Mm -hmm. And uh, before, in especially in some Russian media, she was portrayed as an like uh, whore, even uh, who wow. uh, committed suicide because she didn't know how to treat uh, to deal with all all her men. So mm -hmm. it's it's totally to totally different uh, mm. approach and new story and uh, of course there are so much untold stories in this continent of uh, female uh, gays so I think it's also for me it was a, a great inspiration to come back to writing about cinema because I was like freelance for a few years and now we started this uh, website which is uh, maybe the first uh, feminist movie website in mm. Russian. Uh, we are reading international media and we're trying to connect our audience to this uh, agenda. Wow, you're the first feminist website. 
in Russia. Or, That's like in, Russia. Cinema, in cinema. In oh, cinema. 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 Cinema website. No. Wow. Have other, other. And what's what's your reception so far? I mean, or can't you tell yet? <laughs> the reception is bad. Bad. Uh, many, many people hate hate us. That can be good in the long run because you'll get more famous that way. But in, yeah, in, in Russia, it's it's a tough time. Yeah. Yeah. Are you being mocked like for by people like sort of they mocking the the agenda, right? Like making fun of it. Like mm-hmm. not some people not. I, I I try not to read uh, all the comments and my Always. my partner she's she's yeah. reading. Yeah, but uh, but I know that um, mainly Russian society is in deli- is in denial because um, mm-hmm. during the Soviet Union they they had this uh, fake feminist agenda and so people normally react that we don't have this problem. Uh, there is no uh, patriarchy in, in Russia, so it's which is not true. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that is so yeah. exciting. I had no idea. That's really, that's a bold move. Wow. Yeah. It can pay. Wow. I'm telling you, I am, to the extent that I'm at all known, which is not a great extent, I'm known for pieces that people hated and then I got hate mail for. <laughs> I got hate mail because I wrote something critical of Meryl Streep. And I'm still, if I'm known at all, known for writing this piece that took me, I dashed off in like an hour um, because people were so enraged. They they tracked me how, down. How, how, when I was how, teaching at the University of uh, at the University of California at Berkeley and they tracked down my email there to send me hate mail. It was amazing. And what did you do? What did I do? And after that, your reaction on uh, these emails? Oh, Oh, my reaction? I mean, I was astonished that of all the pieces I'd ever written, and I've written some controversial pieces, that that one would be the one, that Meryl, that Meryl <laughs> Streep is such a sacred cow in America that you cannot, you can't say anything bad about it. I mean, I was, I was attacked in Vanity Fair, which is a major publication, for having, having written this just really off-the-cuff piece about Meryl Streep, who had made a speech, what was supposed to be a political speech at the Golden Globes Award. Mm-hmm. And that was mainly the trigger for writing about this absurd, I don't know, kind of neoliberal speech she had made. And that that led to writing about it. But I mean, I just, I just, it's by, by, by leagues, it's the piece that most people have read and, and know. So it's just hatred is a great driver of... <laughs> A film critic's career, I think. Yeah. Oh man, well, but then it doesn't mean that um, kind of like more people were supposed to like start following you after that. I just even no, I just think eight. it's a matter of more people know you. I mean, a critic that people, a, a number of people know here is Armand White, and it's because he just writes. Uh-huh. He has the most outrageous takes on films, and and he drives. People. He was the one who spoiled the the perfect score on Toy Story three. He wrote the, he wrote the one negative review, and then I followed with the other negative review. But I mean, he's much more famous because uh, he just enrages people. It's one route to fame and fortune. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's a good advice. <laughs> people just love to read hate pieces. I have people write to me and yeah. say I, that they love them much more than than when I when I'm what I think are the more important pieces is to tell you what's what's a great film and defend and defend my position. But people are much less interested in that yeah, here it's anyway. Same. Yeah, same here. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that's a very exciting venture. Wow. Yeah. I'm impressed. All right. So let's move from film criticism mm-hmm. to like speaking about the Russian film industry, because I think people outside of Russia don't really have necessarily a good idea of what's, how things are done here. So I think Maria might like help us <laughs> to yes, understand please, what, please. what is what is going on. If if you're really interested, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm super interested. I mean, I know Scary. a little bit more just by because I am Russian, but then not not that deeply. So I guess the question is, what is the specificity of film industry in Russia in comparison, let's say, to Europe? What's what's special about? Russia. Uh, I think the first thing that uh, most of the movies produced in Russia are produced with governmental money. So, uh, and uh, some of them are now pieces of propaganda, and uh, they also have some debuts. Uh, and uh, but no, no independent cinema. Uh, maybe a few titles in twenty years. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but wait. From, from what I know, actually, in European countries, there's like that. It's, they're famous for having a lot of state funds available for filmmakers. So 
this is this is kind of common. Yes, and uh, they uh, in Europe they have different film funds, and in Russia uh, the film industry is situated in, in Moscow mainly, so it's very centralized. And uh, a few years ago, I tried to make a festival program on some movies from different regions of Russia, and there is only one region which produce. Uh, uh, which produce its own movies. It's it's Yakutia, uh, a huge frozen land uh, in Siberia, and uh, very interesting people. Uh, and they have their own film industry, which is uh, very similar to American independent film industry because they produced uh, produce mo- movies on their own money. They distribute uh, in their local theaters, and mm-hmm. they own something, and they produce the next. And now they're developing very fast uh, because it's a remote, remote republic, and they only uh, have uh, the internet, uh, internet connection. They connected to the internet, uh, broadband internet, only a few years ago. So they're now uh, screening their movies in some Asian film festivals and somewhere in Moscow. And it's the only region outside of Moscow and St. Petersburg where people have their own. Uh, cinema, uh, cinema industry oh. and if you were born in some city outside of Moscow in St. Petersburg you probably should go to Moscow if you want to make movies mm. mm-hmm. but then when you say that there are almost like no independent movies produced um, in the last I don't know 20-25 years then what do you mean by that like there are no production companies that finance sort of more independent from the government, um, like films. So how, then basically what, what is happening with the indie films? Cause they are, cause, Mainly because yeah. everything in Russia is controlled by government. And uh, as I said before, there are very few independent media and it's the same with cinema. Of course, they would like to control everything. And mm-hmm. uh, there is no film business in American understanding of it. Do you, do you know if it's if it's if it's the distributors that are the issue or the or the exhibitors like the theaters that don't even want to play it or it's just that the government can keep such heavy-handed control they can prevent production like small there, companies. There is, there, there is no need an independent cinema for now because People who are producing cinema, they have the governmental money and it's enough. Right. And they don't need uh, to be successful in the box, of, box office. Mm-hmm. But some of our titles are now very successful. Mm-hmm. But um, most of the producers are earn their money before they release the movie. So it's uh, why bother to produce something risky uh, if, if you can just uh, live on this... Uh, governmental support. I mean, sometimes there's just angry renegades who are like, "I want to, I want to make another film, and I'm going to make it any way I can." It sounds like that's not a that's not a movement. Yeah, there are a few, a few, um, especially yeah. twenty years ago in the beginning mm. of the century. For example, Andreas Wagens of the Return, it was produced independently, mm-hmm. so it's it's one of uh, the example. His mm-hmm. first feature, right? Yeah, his first feature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But back then, uh, more people uh, did want to invest into cinema. Mm-hmm. So basically, I mean, I noticed even being here that there are like young, there are like a few other new, newer like film schools that where people, younger people, get education and they graduate and they do get a chance frequently to make their first feature. So and that's always financed still by the government. There are no kind of production companies or private investors that. The risk with their with young filmmakers to finance them. There are three ways uh, for people who study in these new non-governmental uh, film schools. Uh, some of them are just uh, incorporate in this existing industry, especially. Uh, uh, it's an interesting thing that we have uh, much more freedom on television. It's uh, they like in America. I think they sometimes take uh, 
risky projects and some and we have huge television mm-hmm. production now so some people from this film schools they can work at uh, television film industry uh, we also have a very strong uh, documentary scene and mm-hmm. documentary cinema is mostly independent and mm-hmm. they uh, approach very risky political themes and mm. uh, I think these this people are very interesting and um, we have a film festival Art Dog Fest for, for screening uh, these movies mm. uh, a few years ago the, the director of the festival uh, was forced out of country but the festival still exists um, and um, also you can uh, just make short movies and wait for some new opportunities to open. I guess the, the obvious question would be, since the situation seems rather bleak now, how did it change since the collapse of the Soviet Union? Because it seemed like it was a pretty, um, sure, controlled, but it was a pretty active, flourishing film industry during Soviet times. So how did it change? Uh, during the 90s, uh, we basically have no cinema at all, no film theaters, and it started to rebuild uh, like 20 years ago. And many things changed uh, in this decade, during this decade, after some protests in Moscow in the beginning of the, of the decade and after 2014, uh, when the... Um, content uh, started to be uh, much more controlled by Ministry of Culture. So uh, answering your questions, we were no cinema during the 90s uh, except for maybe Alexei Balabanov's movies. Uh, But he has a very strong producer who earned money some other ways and invested it into Balabanov's cinema, Sergei Selyanov. So it was a unique example of Russian cinema in, in, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that movie, like, I think it's actually famous uh, abroad as well, Brother. Mm-hmm. You, you watched that, Lynn, right? I, I mean, it, it actually was financially solvent. It was successful. But it was successful, successful outside of theater, um, distribution. theater distribution because it was uh, successful on VHS mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and very few theatrical uh, screenings because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, old Soviet infrastructure, it was uh, non, uh, was out of order, and they started to rebuild, uh, to build new cinemas only after Titanic. And, oh, yeah, Titanic, yeah. they yeah. did. Yeah, Titanic. Oh. Uh, yeah, it boosted, uh, boosted uh, modern type cinemas in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh dear. But I remember in the nineties, I was a kid, but like. There were movie theaters that are, I think they showed Hollywood, like blockbusters, right? Mm-hmm. You, you say they were not functioning at all? Because there were movie theaters that were working. I remember next to my house in Moscow. It's not like they, they did exist. Or you say that some of them stopped like operate work. some of them were like you know selling furniture or something like it wow. yeah there were a few working, working once in, in Moscow and even here in St. Petersburg and uh, me myself I watched the uh, brother in 1997 here in St. Petersburg and the movie theater with no heating in November <laughs> and with uh, yeah and with broken broken chairs so wow, wow. <laughs> the cinema the cinema was operating Yeah, well, I don't remember those times that well, so I guess good for me. Yeah, so Soviet Union, an example, like obviously extremely vertically kind of hierarchical structure, and it was reflected in the film industry as well. And there was basically one major film school that existed in Moscow, it still exists, it's called uh, basically Institute of Cinematography. And um, I've he- I had some friends who went there, they were like either complaining <laughs> how old school it is and not relevant, but I wonder what you think, like, is it completely outdated the way, what, what they teach there? And in comparison to the newer film schools that appeared only in the last, what, five years, a few film schools opened in Moscow. Um, so basically, yeah, how, how, what's relevant, what's not, and what's the difference? I really don't know nothing about mm-hmm. uh, this Gerasian film school. I only know that now uh, uh, they want to um, finance all the debuts uh, via this uh, institute. 
so there will be probably there will be no more newcomers outside of this official system outside yeah. of yeah the uh, institute of cinematography yeah, yeah outside of geek yeah but what about this like moscow new film school i think i said right yeah those uh, there is ones. there is there is moscow film school and uh moscow new film school right two <laughs> two different schools and uh, yeah the uh, almost the same uh, <laughs> but, but you know uh, this first one is um um oriented to the real production we we are training directors, uh, screenwriters, cinematographers to just finish and go to TV production, to movie production. And this Moscow new uh, film school is, uh, uh, I think they have no full-length movies uh, by now and they exist for like seven years. And they, they because they're, they're discussing a lot, uh, they're talking about cinema, they're making short movies and uh, uh, I was giving lectures in this film school. Very interesting people who launched it, and uh, very interesting students. Uh, but um, they, I think, they more about film theory, not about real, real pr- production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> it's kind of depressing. I don't know. Well, but then, yeah, I think I've seen there a few. I'm trying to think if I've seen any features that came out of the um, the first one, the more production oriented one. I don't know if there were any good. Ah, you know, like the um, book. I don't know the bull. The bull. There's yeah, it's new... it's just uh, the first. Uh, it's just a movie from this uh, Institute of Cinematography movie, which uh, was. Uh, oh, it was geek. Okay. Yeah, it was geek and. It's a, it's a very strange uh, debut. So about nineties also. Uh, also. Mm-hmm. It's a popular popular topic. Uh, how it was, um, how how miserable life was in the nineties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bloody. Yeah, yeah, the very strong male protagonist uh, with uh, female uh, characters, uh, like prostitutes, uh, like, prostitutes, like, <laughs> like no, and, and yeah, and and it was like the big success of his gig debut, Institute of Cinematography debut mm-hmm. <laughs> production. Yeah, it just where yeah, we were discussing. I think this movie won this Russian film, uh, in the competition of the Russian Film Festival Kinotavr mm-hmm. the take place what is it every june mm-hmm. yeah so that, that's the new kind of and we just think, think that is the main film festival uh, uh, in russia is independent mm-hmm. it's, it's owned by a private private company but mm-hmm. so there is then independent they have they have uh, governmental some governmental funding but they they owned by alexander adnansky uh-huh so and in comparison to let's say moscow film festival it's way more like varied and independent in terms it's of- impossible to compare because Moscow Film Festival is an old institution and it's supposed to be for the viewers uh-huh. uh, and uh, Kinotaur is uh, the main uh, main event in the industry it's much yeah. more for for the industry and it's 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 working well I think it's it's, it's a good good thing mm-hmm. to have yeah interesting that you mentioned so this independent film festival is actually owned by producer um i think alexander radnansky well i've heard of him in because he's tied he's considered the person the producer who created the phenomenon of um Zagins. which is not true which is, yeah. which is not true no oh because right. he's uh, because dragons the first movie return uh, it was produced by other people mm. okay but I guess okay. Then then I was mistaken because I everyone links them together, and I I also believed in this myth. But then, since you, you you keep saying how there's almost no independent cinema right now, but there's one film director uh, that has been famous kind of in the world film industry for the last at least what 10, 15, I think more over fifteen years. It's um, Andrei Zvagintsev. Could you uh, kind of explain <laughs> to people who might be not very familiar? With his um, with his films, what's so special about kind of his way of storytelling that it is accessible by the audience at large outside of Russia? Even though he always tells stories that are kind of very much Russian and based in Russian reality, and sometimes even like on current connected to current events. So I'm I'm not very much fond mm-hmm. of Andrei Zvagintsev. Neither am I. I, I, <laughs> I neither am I. Uh, there is a simple explanation of his success uh, back then when he started because his uh, first feature uh, won two Golden Lion, uh, which was the last time when someone uh, won 
to practice yeah for for the best movie and for the best debut Mm -hmm. and of course in russian uh, anyone who is successful outside of russia is uh, is a big big person it's uh, immediate success Mm -hmm. inside the country and uh, in the west i think uh, People, cinema viewers, cinema professionals were waiting for some new Andrei Tarkovsky and uh, they got him. So it's, it's an so that's how, that's how they see it. It's almost yeah. like the new. But do, do you agree with that? Because I, I think it's very just, there's he's nowhere close to Tarkovsky, even if you try to emulate some of the, <laughs> some of the shots or... I don't know what what do you think? Tarkovsky belongs to his own time. Is there just a cult of Tarkovsky in other words in Russia in Europe that makes makes it like people are are waiting for another Tarkovsky? Is that a European phenomena, a Russian phenomena, an everywhere phenomena? Is he the only director people people know? Maybe. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think Russia has only one big director, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, every every newcomer um, is in in the shadow of Tarkovsky, of Tarkovsky. and it's uh, for the international audience. Of course, it's much more easier to to wait for new Tarkovsky mm-hmm. because of course. Also, we have some very original filmmakers, such as Alexei Blabanov or Alexander Mendadze, and they're totally unknown outside of Russia. And, and, and I think it's a normal situation because in this uh, big global film market, film industry, people just want to see something familiar. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's normal. And speaking of like actually, I guess better filmmakers, but we, we agree. Like Blabanov, and you wrote a book about him a few years ago. He's huge in Russia. He was he was very popular both with critics and actually and people. And his films are very peculiar and, and very much about Ru- Russia. Why was he completely, I guess, unsuccessful on the what would you say international film circuit? But, you know, in some sense, he was successful because his first uh, full-length film, Happy Days, it was screened in Cannes, mm-hmm. and and. His, his second movie was produced with some French and German findings. And his third film, The Brother, is also was also screened in Cannes to a huge success. And it was released everywhere in the United, United States, in Great Britain, everywhere. And, um, you know, I think like uh, the whole rush, uh, he was very educated person. And he was a, a, really, a real European man because he read, tons of books and he was very much connected with American literature. He was uh, he was reading Faulkner and uh, Knut Gamson and he was really, really well-educated uh, European man. But during the 90s, he was very traumatized by this co-production with France and Germany because uh, some people who co-produced his movies, uh, they were just using him mm-hmm. to get this funding from CNC, a French organization, which uh, supported uh, Russian and Western, uh, Eastern European cinema. uh, cinema. So he was very, it was a trauma for him because he was waiting, he he expected what he will be a part of his global culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, later he understood that he was invited only as, uh, only on Russian quota. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was very very mechanical to him was it supposed he was supposed to direct something outside of russia because i i don't know that no no his second movie castle based on, oh, on kafka. Yeah, kafka yeah it That's was right. a co-production between few countries and but it, never happened. it happened yeah 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 it's mm-hmm. a, a movie exists but mm-hmm. uh, it's not it's, it's uh, he he believes that he the castle is his worst movie and uh, mm-hmm. really the story of getting funding from this uh, French uh, German funds it was not not happy not successful and very traumatizing to, for him mm-hmm. I see so he kind of turned back to the Russian production yeah he, he after that all his movies uh, were produced by Sergei Selyanov to me, Balabanov kind of is one of, again, still, even today, almost one of the only directors, and he, he died already, like, again, a few years ago, who managed to show Russian life on screen in a non-fake way. The way people talk, what apartment they live, just how they act, and every, everything feels very kind of just 
harmonious to, to what actually was. And I, and the question is like, why it's, it's kind of a common thing. I'm not the only one to voice this, but how come even now and in the last 25 years in Russian films, things seem very, very fake. Nothing is kind of authentic to the experience of, let's say, I'm a Russian, I watch it and it's, people don't talk the way they really do. They don't live in the apartments they do and all, and all that. And I'm speaking about the films that are supposed to be realistic and they never, almost never are. So do, do you know why is that? I don't think it's right for the moment. Of course, it was um, right for like 12, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and reality changed very fast. And the movie takes two years to produce. And uh, they're always uh, a little late uh, to, to, to show something. And of course... Um, uh, for example, it's a, prob- a problem of language. Uh, sometimes uh, the dialogues are very unnatural. And uh, I think you should watch more TV series because in the, on the modern TV series for made for uh, online streaming and for uh, some smaller TV channels, they have this sense of reality. So it's uh, surprisingly much more reality on television. Seems to me that American films have the same problem. Most of them... <laughs> Most of them are so bound by conventions, like the dialogue is, is it follows the conventions of successful dialogue in Hollywood movies. You almost never hear a film and go, God, yeah, people talk exactly like that. That's exactly how they talk. It does, it's exactly how they don't talk when you read when you read a lot of scripts. You can already see how fake it is. And in, in, in Russia, the problem is that society is very atomized. So mm. uh, no one knows how like people who clean dishes or who make food in the restaurant, how they speak. Mm-hmm. And the scriptwriter script has no knowing of how to, to write about people who live outside of Moscow. Mm-hmm. So, Moscow uh, Center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that's why road, road movie is the most popular genre in Russian cinema, because everybody tried to get out of Moscow and look for something new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, we had this, a similar problem with, for a long time anyway, with everyone sounding, acting like and looking like and sounding like Los Angeles. <laughs> so they'd always try to use Los Angeles locations for a while before they started branching out. It was it was really maddening to watch films because every place looked, looked like Los Angeles because they shot in Los Angeles. So it was it was very unfortunate. But Moscow always uh, filmed in some cheaper cities, mm. like Yaroslavl or something, <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now everything looks like Eastern Europe or something <laughs> because the same reason they go to they go to other countries to shoot. Yeah. You know that Lithuania now is the main destination for people who would like to film something on Soviet Union, such mm-hmm. as Chernobyl. Lithuania, they they huge in this. Wait, I thought Chernobyl was mostly shot not in Lithuania but Latvia. No, 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 it, it was Lithuania. Oh, it was in the uh, was filming Vilnius. Yeah, because we built it a very good base for production, and now they like the main destination. They like selling our common Soviet past successfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of like common Soviet past, um, again, I, I don't know if you have answers. Probably no one has, but do you know how come Tarkovsky, while being actually the most successful filmmaker? Uh, Russian f- Soviet filmmaker outside um, outside of Soviet Union, he was so kind of almost looked down uh, in, from like inside and by film apparatchiks like in the film industry in Moscow, and frequently had trouble like getting funds for his films and all the, and all that stuff. And eventually, he there's a theory that he left not because I don't know he was a dissident, but because he literally had just too many problems with. Um, like people who are responsible for producing his films. And so he like emigrated and left because of that. So why was he so hated? Was it jealousy? Even now I can, I see, let's say in New York or Los Angeles, I see his books on film theory and different diaries published and available widely. While here, his most famous theory, a film theory book is not even like available at any bookstore. You can only like pirate it. Uh, somewhere on the internet. So basically, I feel like there's a weird suppression, and also he's still not very popular. So what's going on with like? I, I really don't know what was happening mm-hmm. during the Soviet Union. I uh-huh. can only suppose that uh, it was a system and someone who tried to operate his own way. And mm-hmm. of course, he led because he was invited by European filmmakers to to make a European movies. So he had a chance to to leave. Yeah. Mm, I I don't think he's hated now. We have lots of 
screenings of his movies, uh, wide release, uh, restored versions of Affair or some mirror. mirror. So I think this new generation has no clue about all these issues. Uh huh. But what about all right? But what about the just the fact that he's never been really popular? That's just about his way of filmmaking, right? He, he's kind of like for I don't know intellectuals or what. I think, I think he is very influential still, but uh, it's funny that Balabanov now is becoming a father figure for Russian, for new generations of Russian filmmakers mm-hmm. instead of Tarkovsky and Balabanov's type of storytelling is much more influential now. I think Tarkovsky it's a, it's a director from 60s, 70s and, and he he's great and big and but it's it's not it's it's now it's too far from us. No, you think it's not relevant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's relevant as a, some movie yeah. classics. Interesting because like again I love Labanov and his way of storytelling very much seemed to be fitting for the 90s and early 2000s because of what kind of like Russian society was going through but what I'm curious is that recently rewatching some of Tarkovsky films I referred to Tarkovsky as Russian David Lynch because he's pretty much the only kind of like Russian filmmaker who made like fantastical films they're basically like fantastical horror movies and no one gets even cl- close to those subject now or even like 20 years ago. Do you know what I mean? So everything is either very flat and realistic, sometimes can be good, but no one does fantastical films. What would you say about I, it? I think uh, mm-hmm. his both, uh, his, uh, his fantastical movies are very connected to literature also because they're based on some books and literature sources and it's it's part of Soviet afterward culture with reading uh, books about uh, beautiful future, some, some, some problems, some small problems, and of course, uh, 60s was uh, the time when people dreamed about space, not only in Russia. You know that uh, Salaris was his um, reply to Stanley Kubrick movie. He watched it during the Moscow Film Festival and uh, wanted to make his own. Uh, approach to the universe, to cosmos. Mm-hmm. I think actually it's it's better <laughs> than Odyssey. I don't know. I mean, have you? Did you watch? The yes, Mars? yes. It's yeah. amazing. I, I like I like yeah. it better than Kubrick, <laughs> but I'm so I'm prejudiced. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're not a Kubrick fan. Yeah. He well, he's a he's a cold cold eyed bastard. <laughs> you know, there's no question. No. Well, except Eyes Wide Shut. That one was a sincere film. <laughs> Yeah, sincere isn't something you usually couple with Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the only one, my theory. Goes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tarkovsky's just so so. People go into it feeling like it's a kind. He's also a kind of ultimate challenge, even though he's such he's so sensory and immediate that that's a strange thing. But I think at least in America, it's typical to be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm going in. I'm gonna try to watch X, you know, the mirror or whatever. <laughs> expecting not to understand any of it. That's kind of the experience here, even though, of course, everyone knows because of Stalker, especially Solaris, how, you know, that he's no one questions his his centrality and importance, but that he's like a kind of ultimate challenge filmmaker. Yeah, you have to be in the mood. Uh, so I read um, different uh, pieces by Maria for like, Russian film magazines. Mm-hmm. And one kind of was interesting to me. Uh, it was actually titled "Why Russian Film Direct- Why No One Needs Russian Film Directors." Yeah. And, and there was. I'll just give a gist of it, and we'll ask Maria to and I, I explain explain because I've, I've never really, um, yeah, I guess, heard this explanation before. Uh, she basically states that. Uh, the problem with Russian filmmakers, um, it's not just film, it's basically a societal problem, mm-hmm. is that Russians now have poor education in humanities and horribly lack erudition. And all the troubles kind of start even there. What has changed in the last, I don't know, since 30 years ago, even 40 years ago, uh, basically what was their better education back in the day? During the Soviet Union, it was not very easy to become uh, a movie maker, to become a screenwriter or director. And if you managed to do it, you you were very privileged uh, as far as you do what you need to do. And um, during the 60s, 70s, uh, 80s, uh, all these people who 
were united by uh, the Union of Cinematographers. They had full access to all important foreign movies, uh, of which uh, the audience was cut off. Uh, and um, they were reading, talking to each other, watching great movies and uh, it was a very privileged cast and nowadays of course the people who are making movies they have to earn money and sometimes they they make some advertising or some stupid tv series and they really uh, as far as they entered this profession they <laughs> really have no time to self-education they have no time to watch uh, foreign content and of course it's still a problem of russian school education because uh, uh, most of them uh, cannot speak english So I, I'm always I'm always right. Learn English, learn English, and but now it's it's very difficult for me to to talk in English now. But I at least I can read and I read books. Um, but I'm I'm not a filmmaker. I'm a critic, and also nowadays after 2014, we are. Again, in this uh, self-isolation, uh, uh, now uh, uh, now on, after 2013, we we again in this self-isolation uh, part of our history, and movie directors uh, we have no no opportunity to co-produce with uh, Europe because of different system of fundings and because of lack of interest, and uh, I think everything could change in, in, in the future because uh, I think now something changing. We, we For these five years, we tired of uh, this self-isolation. And, and recently, I've seen uh, the post of Facebook by um, Russian female director who in the post was, uh, I would like to find an English uh, teacher. I would like to learn English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, she won Kinatava one year ago. So Natalia Mishininova. And it was like relief oh, like for that. me. Yeah. <laughs> But a question about isolation you're talking about, is it partially mostly because of Ukraine crisis? Is it because it's about politics, right? Because of sanctions, because of this uh, annexation of Crimea and all, all what followed. And uh, it's also, I think, uh, have some reasons in in our society. And as I said before, Alexei Bulabanov, uh, he was very abused by uh, his attempt to try uh, to, to enter this uh, international film industry and I think the whole country did, did the same way because we, we were very open after prehistoric and collapse of Soviet Union but uh, um, I think many people in Russia and our president also they feel like uh, they were not respected uh, in this international scene and it's very strong feeling uh, because when we tried to enter this big world uh, we were treated like uh, you know children uh, like children <laughs> yeah like children. and and, and I, I think this one of the explanations of all this uh, stuff was going on with Russia mm -hmm. but now I think we, we're not children anymore maybe we're teenagers so <laughs> we, are, we are ready to to to, to go outside our borders again. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, I, I frequently kind of mention it, I guess, on the podcast, but Russia used to be on the forefront of filmmaking mm -hmm. like 100 years ago, and it and it lasted for like maybe 10 years. So it's a bit different from being just a small country entering the global yeah, market. Yeah. It's really kind sure, of Sure, sure. It's, it's not, not only in terms of filmmaking, because Russia is really small market in every field, and it's a small culture and small population. It's, it's, it's very huge huge in territory, but it's only uh, 150 million people living here. It's um, on the waste territory. Um, the interesting phenomenon here, because I've been obviously following what's more or less going on in Russian film industry in the last few years, is that uh, one of the most famous, um, again, filmmaker, almost as famous as Tarkovsky, there's Alexander Sakurov. He was actually, he was like almost like a semi, I think he was friendly uh, with Tarkovsky and Tarkovsky, he considers even Tarkovsky his mentor. So there's a connection here again. But basically uh, what he did, I think it was five years ago, he went into the small, small republic in the uh, Russian South and created basically sing single-handedly film school mm -hmm. uh, where he picked um, just uh, young people 
who not necessarily have no background and he kind of like picked i don't know how he picked based on personality it seems like they said and uh taught them for five years along with i don't know probably some other professors and uh, as back to this erudition problem he taught them not just film history but just generally i don't know literature <laughs> probably just general history <laughs> and all that yeah, theater music everything yeah. yeah basically everything like humanities related to bring them up to some sort of i don't know <laughs> satisfying level of kind of world knowledge um to even function and uh so that's just a little background and out of that there came out a young filmmaker he's i don't know what in his late 20s only uh kantimir balagov and he made already two films and both of them they're kind of like this huge hits they're kind of indie but they're popular in russia and also outside of russia they won what a few awards at can mm -hmm. they screened uh in like i don't know toronto film festival basically they're part of this like world conversation he's part of this world conversation and to me what's interesting because when i watch them is it's very much reminds me of the Sakura way of uh, storytelling so he almost like created it, it's not my criticism but it's how I see it it's you know it's a it's sort of he created a he taught I guess uh, those kids how to make films the way he knows mm. the way he he was a total authority and so this uh, young filmmaker came out of it and makes movies in this kind of genre and they're successful but um, I still um, I guess my question is why if Maria knows like What's so special about this his film language? Is it just because he kind of makes films in the style of Sakurov <laughs> and has this authenticity coming from the small Russian Republic? I think this voyage to Caucasus by Sakurov is one of the most important things that happened in Russian culture in, in this, this century. And you know that Russia is a very imperial country and uh, as I as I said before uh, there are no film productions outside of Moscow outside of capitals and uh, it was like uh, a big big uh, thing to do uh, because these uh, young people uh, uh, most of them um, have some war experience because this region uh, had very um, unsafe uh, situation in the 90s and later and uh, it was a very interesting mix of uh, uh, young people with very unique experience uh, and with uh, modernist-like education and they are also very modern people and Kuntimir uh, Balagov uh, is the most uh, famous but he's not uh, the only one who made uh, his full-length debut uh, out of the school there are few of them uh, and one more to, to be screened soon so like uh, four or five full-length movies in, in a couple of years which is a huge success comparing to other film schools And uh, I really, uh, I know that during this uh, educational pro process, they never watched Sakurov's movies. So maybe the influence is not that direct. Uh, Sakurov uh, uh, prohibited them to watch his movies. Mm. I think uh, Kuntimir Balagov and also some other guys from this film school, uh, they, of course, they're influenced by Sakurov, but they're young people and they have a totally different uh, tone of storytelling. And um, sometimes it reminds of Sakurov, but Kuntimir's uh, uh, approach to all even historical themes he's uh, taking, I think, is totally, totally modern. It's very up-to-date. I think he he's very inspiring for for young uh, people in Russia because he's really he's no no not uh, a son of a famous director from the Soviet past and he's uh, from totally totally small city and he uh, he was studying as an accountant in like police college so uh, and he he would work in police if uh, Sakurov would come to and when you watch it continue uh, you understand that if Sakurov had the power to come to every city in Russia maybe everywhere he will find such interesting guys and uh, of course he it's, it's impossible for one person to do it and no no one Uh, except Sakurov uh, tried to do his things. Uh, yeah. But it's also kind of interesting because, again, here there's this tradition, even outside of the experiment of Sakurov in the Caucasus, of directors, um, even in the Institute of Cinematography back in the day, kind of running their own courses and picking people and then teaching them. So there's like a main director who oversees mm -hmm. you, like 
any young person becoming director. And that's like a very common thing, almost sort of vert hierarchical. Yeah, well, in America, it's not like this. Even in the big film schools, yeah, there are some big filmmakers teaching their courses, but it's never as like centralized. So you never find yourself for four years under the influence of one filmmaker. So it's a very, it's a very special situation here. Yes, it's, it's a country of hierarchies. Yes, it's very, very vertical. Vertically integrated. Yeah. Yeah, it's- and also with uh, directors, uh, they have uh, some resources. Sakurov uh, has his own film fund and he produced uh, Kantimir's first movie. So uh, when you have this kind of master, he also guarantees that you have a movie debut soon. I see. And his film fund, is it just by, he gets it from private investors? I'm just no, curious. No, he, I, mostly from, from government. And now he's like frozen for, mm-hmm. for a couple of months, but uh, uh, he was funded also by state. Yes. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have to have almost like, it's called in Russian, you have to mm-hmm. be hands-on here with whatever you do. And if you kind of like a cool older film director, you have power <laughs> if you want, single-handedly to kind of... I don't know, create new filmmakers if you put enough energy into it. So the young filmmaker, what is his name, Balagov? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. When you say he's he's modern, um, what does that look like? What is What does it look like to be modern? What are his films like that are distinctive and at the same time represent, you know, what's going on right now? Uh, his new movie, Bimpol, uh, which is a Russian entry for Oscar, mm-hmm. it's in used today. Mm-hmm. It's a movie about uh, two women after the first, first automata after the end of uh, World War II. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's based, it's loosely based on Svetlana Alexievich's book um, about women uh, who fought in uh, mm-hmm. World War II. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a historical period movie, but it's somehow linked to uh, modernity mm-hmm. because uh, questions he touches like euthanasia or some un- unconventional ways to get a child it's it's looks totally totally modern mm-hmm. and uh, it speaks to modern audience mm-hmm. so it's not retro it's it's some universal or some modern topics in, in this retro well and it seems it seems i mean i don't all I know about Russian film tends to be from teaching, you know, a very broad film history course that included some Russian film. But it seems like every time we, we cycled back to what was happening in a new era of Russian filmmaking, you'd you'd almost always have a young filmmaker who went back to World War, you know, as long as they were post-World War II, who went back to World War II to re-portray mm-hmm. it in a newly modern way. So The Cranes Are Flying um, by Kalatatsov, for example. Um uh- yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. Because uh, you know that uh, World War Two, which in Russia called Great Patriotic War, mm-hmm. because with different different time and different, it's it's a very controversial um, historical topic. Uh, but in, in modern day Russia, this war is a form of uh, religion. Mm-hmm. So you know we have this uh, big marches on 9th of May uh, commemorating our dead uh, fathers and grandfathers. So mm-hmm. it's 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 Really, it's really a form of religious cult, and of course, of course, uh, Minister of Culture always support movies on this. Uh, right, so you and, can count on getting funding and a return visit. Yeah, to, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's easier, but also some people who do want to ask questions, mm-hmm. they also uh, turn back to this topic just to to have some to oppose. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like if you wanna. Especially when when people were trying to break away from socialist realism, they'd go back to World War II and kind of do anti-heroic portraits of young people and showing them as psychologically troubled as, you know, having sexual experiences. That's, you know, cranes are flying and then again and come and see. And it just seems like a return to World War II, but with a but with an updated idea um, that wouldn't have been allowed under socialist realism. It seems like it's it's a move and. I just perhaps I just like the idea that this new filmmaker has done has gone back again. That's that's great. For for bigger movies like uh, 
Russian blockbusters. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different approach because it's like Brezhnev era ideology in some computer game settings. So it's it's like this. It's like three D. Yeah, it's three D. <laughs> kind of Shutter Bandarchuk has that kind of like feel to his movies, like huge but very retrograde. Shutter Bandarchuk would like to make his own Pearl Harbor. It's his dream movie, I think. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Because he he watched movies back in the nineties, uh, uh, American blockbuster movies, and and he's trying to reproduce it still. Uh, Pearl Harbor. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, he's like um, just for those who don't know and they don't have to know, Fyodor Bandarchuk is basically the main. Um, kind of big director of, of um, kind of blockbusters of mm-hmm. um, expensive Russian films that mm-hmm. are always have a very patriotic kind of pro pro Russian yeah, government agenda. Mm-hmm. Now he's most influential uh, filmmaker in, in the yeah. country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he has any funds he wants. He does have this kind of like. I, I guess uh, advanced technology. It's true, mm-hmm. but what he does with it is just laughable. I mean, really. <laughs> no, I, I watched some of them. I mean, I cannot believe it. They look expensive. Shit, like blows up. <laughs> There's some technology. I don't know. But then it's just yeah. Maria's right. He, he's not the worst. He's a good guy. Covers <laughs> are much worse. So Maria, Maria, do you do you do you write about those films just because they'll be popular interest in them or do you just not bother? Of course I read about these movies and I also would like to write a, a book on mm-hmm. modern Russian propaganda but it's it's so <laughs> it's, it's, a torture. it's a torture to watch all these movies. I was yes, going to say I, that I, would be so painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a very cool book. Uh-huh. <laughs> but oh yeah, so it would be a great book to read after you did all had after you tortured yourself through it. Yes, they just actually it just like I cannot not mention. I wonder if Maria watched it. Um, there's um, Channel One, the Federal Channel, pro- produced or co-produced a big TV series on Trotsky. I mean, they're extremely anti. I mean, in a very kind of one-sided way, it's a very anti-revolutionary narrative. Uh, done also in a slightly Brezhnev era, kind of aesthetic and everything feels good, very old school, but expensive. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, expensive. that's, that's, that's the, main, the main problem because if I start to write this book, I should watch, watch, everything. Also, watch, watch everything. Also all this uh, TV series, endless TV series, mm-hmm. which it, it stops me. <laughs> I have to say for those who want to see it, it's definitely available. I'm not sure. I think Netflix or something like this. I think that's how I even started watching the first few episodes. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have at least, I have that. I didn't have more questions, but I have at least one. That Go like, for it. That I'm so curious about because uh, I've been in Russia for a few months now and I've been following what's going on in the film industry. And I noticed that mm, there's like one filmmaker who made, um, uh, who's actually a businessman turned film film director. And I've heard a few other ones uh, did that as well before him. And so basically there's this, I don't know if I can call it a trend, but you can make a I guess an indie film, <laughs> if you fully, if you can fully finance it, means that you have to be. I think this guy either uh, was working finance and was even like in some kind of Forbes list, and the other guy was like a big restaurant kind of owner type, and they wrote and directed their own films. And so to me, it's um, sort of very fitting to the modern Russia, uh, where there's almost no independent film industry. Uh, so the only way to really do it, you can almost have to do it yourself. But then to do it yourself, you almost have to be a businessman. And it's a certain mentality and probably certain decades, uh, if years, if not decades mm. that you put into it. Opening up restaurants. So, do do you know what I'm talking about? You probably heard. Yeah, no, but mm-hmm. there are very few of uh, of these people because in in the late 80s, beginning of 90s, it was uh, um, a huge wave of such people. Uh, it's called cooperative you know? uh, mm-hmm. Cooperation. It was a form of uh, new economic activities. People make these small firms and uh, for trade or something else, and they also funded movies and this uh, very trashy movies made on former film studios and it was a huge, huge wave of this uh, thought uh, great quality movies so it's, uh, now it's some it's, it's a very rare thing to do Oh, yeah, but I guess I uh, obviously I, I know only a few examples, so I'm slightly exaggerating, but you know what I mean, Ivanov there's this new movie, I'm talking about not cooperative, but when actually a businessman 
since that's almost the only people who really have money and some freedom, they're like, oh, I can be a filmmaker. I have some ideas. I'm going to write the script. I'm going to, the guy I'm talking about who has uh, his movie released now in Russia, even in movie theaters, he not only wrote and directed it and produced, but also he plays the main oh, part. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't watched it. It might be good. I'm not oh. trying to trash it. But I'm just saying, oh, this is very fitting for Russia. How well, like... Interesting. This is like, I think the new filmmakers in Russia should be businessmen. And I'm like sarcastic, of course, but, but hey. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but I never watched it, but I, uh-huh. it, it's good that it, it means that people are still in love with cinema, even rich ones. So I think it's, it's, it's a good news. <laughs> Just interesting. So that's like almost can be, I guess. Yeah, it's, I think <laughs> like few titles in a decade. So you don't think it's I, I, like I don't a think trend. So, No, I don't think so. No. It, it won't keep going. You need to see it, Evgenia, just to see the performance of the businessman. <laughs> I know, I know. I wanted to go. I was in Moscow. It was like a premiere screening and he was there for Q&A but I somehow I don't know that day it was <laughs> something happened I, I couldn't make it but I, I'll definitely watch it yeah so yeah I don't know it's like a new new auteur film right right exactly businessman auteur that's that's fascinating yeah well I don't know it's yeah that's very kind of <laughs> Russian the <laughs> good thing to spend the money on uh, that movie why not no for sure mm-hmm. for sure yeah, you're right. Let's yeah. not mock this businessman. Let's say that was that was a good thing. I haven't even watched it, so I'm like obviously don't know what I'm talking about. I have to watch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can yeah. report back <laughs> next episode. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. That was great. It was so informative. I Thank you. really I, I, I already have a headache, but oh. thanks. <laughs> Yeah, thank it you was for doing really this. my first experience in talking English uh, on the almost radio. Yeah, that that must be <laughs> very headache-inducing. No wonder you have a headache. Yeah, but yeah, I think it all came through loud and clear. I mean, thanks for your interest. Oh it's... God, my pleasure. I, anything to fill me in on what's going on in contemporary Russian cinema? I just know nothing at all. So I'm relying on Evgenia to fill me in, and you've been a great help. Thank you. Yeah, and then we'll be back in in two weeks. Okay. Right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.